This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. A video of the talk is also available along with more downloads at our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. What constitutes a famous saying? I think this one in particular has what we might call a dark fascination. It's often used to indicate that the God of the Old Testament is thought by some people to be different to the God of the New. That in Old Testament times there was a lack of love and forgiveness which we find in the New. Therefore we don't need to take much notice of the Old Testament. Or worse still, we don't need to take any notice of the Bible message or of God. It's used, as it were, by some to say, how can a God who thinks like this, who causes his members to practice these ideas, is a real God, a God that can solve things, a God that can love people. Hopefully we can dispel that kind of thinking just now. One of the reasons for this is the that the context of the saying is not taken into consideration. Often the only part of the saying that comes to mind is what is said after... You know, you know we say a, a portion of, of a famous saying and we forget about the rest of it. The bit that contains the full truth and the important message for us is forgotten. Just the bits which help the case of those who are anti-Bible teaching and anti-God. What we want to do then is to look at the context when the words an eye for an eye is used in the Old Testament and then the important message it has when Jesus uses it in the New. I want to reminisce a little for a start and take you back to some of the memories I have from school days when studying Shakespeare. Briefly the story as I recall it is this. Uh, the handsome hero, a merchant, was strapped for cash to purchase stock, etc., and send his fleet out. And he enters an agreement with the villain Shylock, the Jewish moneylender. The agreement being that Shylock can take a pound of his flesh if he reneges on the loan. Which indeed is what happens. Antonio is saved by Portia, his lover, disguised as a lawyer. For she says, okay to the court, okay, you can have your pound of flesh, but not one ounce more or one ounce less. Also, you must not spill any of his blood when extracting the flesh, for the agreement is for one pound of flesh and that alone. It is impossible, of course, for Shylock to keep these precise conditions of the agreement, and so Antonio escapes. We'll come back to the implications of that reminiscence as we progress. Let's now go to the Old Testament and to one occasion when our saying is used. This is in Leviticus uh, 24.17 as you can see. If anyone injures his neighbour as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. Okay, that looks straightforward enough. If you've been injured, you can have revenge in the same way as you've been injured. Well, imagine if Portia, our defence lawyer, was involved in this case. 
okay, she would say, you can have your fracture, fracture away, but it must be in the same place as yours, must have the same bone involved, must be the same length, and so, and so on and so on. Maybe with an eye it's easier, left or right, no problem, but to actually do it, that's something else. Could you or I really gouge out someone's eye, even if they'd done that to you? God, I think, is saying to an individual, if someone has knocked out your eye, it's okay for you yourself to gouge out theirs. For then perhaps, if you think you can do it, and about to do it, you'll be merciful and forgive. Don't tell anyone else to take revenge for you. And then with a tooth, take the exact same tooth as being knocked out of your mouth. Don't damage any others. If you're somebody like me, it'd be very difficult to take revenge in that manner because I could give them as a piece of plastic. Uh, be that by the by. Um, but we see what the problem is. If you're taking revenge to take exactly the same teeth out as has been knocked out of your mouth. I can clearly remember, uh, it must be nearly 50 years ago, when I last had a tooth out. Actually, it was the dentist here in Northampskirk who removed all that remained of mine shortly after we were married. To actually do that with anaesthetic doesn't sound too bad, but for a non-dentist to remove one tooth, that would be pretty horrific to do, as well as to receive. Take the exact tooth and don't damage any others. On to another instance in the same book of Leviticus. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good, and whoever kills a person shall be put to death. So we move to the recompense for killing. Not too bad with an animal, we can agree a value of what an animal's worth and repay. But for killing a person, that's something different. The price is your own life, and there's no negotiation on that. However, for what we call manslaughter, accidentally killing somebody, there was the provision under the law for the person responsible to flee to a city of refuge and there live for a period of time safely and not be brought to account and have their life taken from them. Another verse. You shall have the same rule for the sojourner and for the native, for I am the Lord your God. Whether they receive benefit or judgment, all were subject to God's law. All the people living within the uh, encampment of Israel as it was in those days, within the land of Israel as it became, both, other, both Israelites and others living with them. There was a case which God was called upon to clarify because how this was carried out was a little uncertain. We'll come to that in a moment. In passing, I came across this quote, which I think has a powerful message for us. Every punishment from God is pure justice, and every blessing from him is pure grace. Back to the context, then, of this particular saying that we're looking at. And in this instance, 
the one to be condemned was the one who had cursed the Lord so if we check back the problem had arisen when the son of a Hebrew woman an Egyptian man had cursed the Lord the people were unsure what to do and brought the matter to Moses for judgment who in turn put the matter before the law so the rules we have looked at were God's response which extended from the specific to the general from the case of the one who cursed to general rules of retribution at the Lord's command therefore the one who cursed was stoned we are reminded of Ananias and Sapphira who as members of the early church died as a result of their lying before God so this is not just an Old Testament thing whoever offends God can be punishment can be death so what have we seen so far for non-capital crimes show mercy the mercy of God is such that when a person is wronged they realise what is required in response and if they do so they are likely to accept like Sherlock that to carry out the tooth for a tooth etc would be very difficult so they are being encouraged to act mercifully and forgive monetary recompense for death or injury to animals well that's fine that's sort of natural justice as we might say and the righteous way to proceed accidental killing of a human we have seen they have a means of escape to cities of refuge but the avenger of blood as he was known can slay a murderer we could perhaps describe this as tough love tough love from God for the peace and safety of the whole community we may wonder how many murderers were actually pursued and killed if it was down to myself or you I suspect to be the avenger of blood perhaps we would think twice and err on the side of mercy which I think could well have happened many times now we pause and read a section from the Sermon on the Mount as you can see that reading is Matthew chapter 5 and verses 17 to 41. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am come to, not come to destroy, but to fulfil. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Ye have heard that it was said of, by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother, without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment 
and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy, thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Merrily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence, till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off, and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, serving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Again ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, Nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Ye have heard that it hath been said, An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall come compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Thank you, Stan. I'll endeavour to comment on some of the highlights of those verses we've just read. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. With those words, Jesus emphasizes to us that his teaching aren't instead of Old Testament laws, but build on the principles of the old. Indeed, more is expected from the Christian than carrying out the basic laws, as we shall see in a minute. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments 
and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So, we learn from that these commandments will be the basis of those ruling the kingdom of heaven. And anyone who relaxes their instructions will be least in that kingdom, and vice versa. The kingdom of heaven is, of course, what we pray for when we pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Back to words from that Sermon on the Mount. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Yes, what the Christian is called upon to do isn't just the outward appearance of righteousness, as was seen in the scribes and the Pharisees, but a righteous attitude of mind that may only be seen by the Lord. For the Father which sees in secret will reward you openly. They made a show of what they were doing, of their so-called righteousness. The Christian quietly gets along and is only seen by the Father. And as that verse, or as we've just reminded ourselves, the Father which seeth in secret will reward you openly. We read these two verses. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if we are angry without reason, you can expect the same judgment as for murder. Likewise, for insulting a person or calling them a fool. It sounds very hard. Yes, indeed it is. But these are the words of the New Testament. These are the words of Jesus. And I'm sure all of us are guilty of falling and forgetting to put these thoughts, these guidances into practice. We're all guilty of being angry or calling someone a fool. And therefore the words of Jesus come to us as it were, as a murderer. We need forgiveness to have hope of a future in God's kingdom. This comes out again in the next couple of verses. You have heard it is said, and just the words, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. And perhaps what Jesus is emphasising in this is that you know those words, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth but you forget about the rest as we originally suggested they were trying to say the bit they wanted to be remembered the bit to justify revenge ignoring the whole of the saying and the whole of the context of the rule but I say to you do not resist the one who is evil but if someone slaps you on the right cheek turn to him the other also particularly when he says much more is required from a follower of his that you should not retaliate rather offer the other cheek as well and if anyone would sue you and take your tunic let him have your cloak as well 
Similarly, don't just give what he's asked for, but do more. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. At the time Jesus was speaking, a Roman soldier could force someone to help them for a mile or so on their journey. Jesus tells his hearers to do more. Go for two rather than the one you're obliged to go. Then two rules for his followers that are particularly a struggle for us to follow today, or at least this is what I find. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Our thinking goes like this, doesn't it? No, they only want the money for drugs and you pass by. So again, this is where we often fail and too need forgiveness. Sorry, I've missed one out. Perhaps this artist, when drawing this picture, had several of those commands in mind, didn't he? Uh, go two miles, give your tunic as well as your coat, and turn the other cheek, which emphasises those points for us. Christianity is based on any ideas? Forgiveness. It's said that all the other major religions, Judaism, Hinduism, uh, Islam, etc., are based on the individual earning salvation by good deeds, etc. And perhaps we emphasised already that the good deeds of the follower of Christ would struggle to earn by good works any salvation. So we who try to follow Christ depend on grace, depend on the mercy of God and Jesus. We can receive that grace by our faith, but even our faith is also a gift for God, from God. So we are tied totally to the mercy and the good gifts of our Heavenly Father. We accept the realism that we can never be good enough to earn our own salvation. Here, in that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus mentions another aspect of forgiveness. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Only if we forgive anyone who hurts us physically or by words can we expect the forgiveness for our own sins from our Heavenly Father. We depend on His forgiveness and His forgiveness relates to our forgiveness of those to whom we come in contact. The cry from Jesus as He hung on the cross are well known to us. The supreme example of undeserved forgiveness being asked for, not for himself, but for others. The same cry goes out for us today, as it did for the thief dying beside him, when he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. We can make a similar cry. And we, when we ponder 
realise what a confession of faith that was from that thief. There he was, actually dying with Christ. Yet he could see and ask that Christ remember him when he came into his kingdom. A remarkable confession of faith. And if we can express our faith similarly, we can make that same cry to be forgiven and to be with Christ in his kingdom. We can be assured that the Lord will not deal with us as we deserve. His words, an eye for an eye, I feel were to provoke mercy. And with that same mercy, he will look upon us and forgive. The price of our redemption having been paid by him on the cross. And that resurrection which followed, which we surely cannot deny, is the basis for our faith. Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming as Paul tells us. Let's just, while we're thinking about Paul, look at some of the other words he left for us in his letters. We're looking here at the second chapter of Ephesians and the eighth verse. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So for some reason we can't really explain. God has called us to follow our Saviour, to follow in his footsteps, to act as he acted, and to be raised as he was raised, and to be with him when he returns. Thinking about vengeance, we go to Romans chapter 12 and these verses. Beloved, never revenge, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. I remember the story about David before he became king. When seeking vengeance on the ignorant Nabal, was saved from carrying out his anger by the wise words of Abigail. And then the Lord, shortly after, brings about the death, as it were by natural causes. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by sowing, so doing, you will heap burning coals his head do not overcome by evil but overcome evil with good perhaps John 3.16 is the most well known verse we have in scripture and it sums up the message of this consideration of this consideration about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth as hopefully we have seen that underneath God is trying to provoke love and forgiveness in the Israelites of old. And Jesus extends those commands to his would-be disciples, which can include us. That we should practice them, that same grace, on them that same grace, mercy and love, that we need ourselves from our Heavenly Father. And we should conduct this in our relationships with all those we have contact with. And then eventually, when Christ returns, he will start the process of fulfilling, or filling this earth rather, 
with righteousness and peace. And the love of God will be extended to all, to all of the world who accept it. The final words of scripture are a prayer that Christ will come back soon to begin that reign of righteousness. So we reverse those well-known words, the end is nigh to this. The beginning is near. To these, the beginning of the new age is near. To those who are following and looking for the return of Christ. And so our final prayer are those words, final words of scripture. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, videos, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirtchristadelphians.org.uk. Thank you.